All right, we are back. Week two of the Softy Hawk Blogger podcast. Uh, the Hawks won Sunday, so I guess we'll keep doing this. Uh, if they had lost that game and not finished that drive, Brian, there at the end of the game, I'm not sure if you and I would be here for crying out loud for week two, but they got it done. Defense was phenomenal. Uh, offense, with the exception of a drive at the end of the first half and end of the uh, fourth quarter, didn't look that great the entire day, but I think in some ways that was to be expected. I thought because of the mismatch of the Dolphin defensive line, the Seahawks offensive line, but how about your thoughts on what we saw Sunday against Miami to start off? It's it's funny. I I didn't have a ton of respect for that Dolphins defense other than the names that they had coming in, but I, I absolutely exited that game really impressed with the way that defense played and not only the way – the players um, you know, executed on the field, but I think their defensive coordinator, who I couldn't tell you who it was off the top of my head, um, called a fantastic game. Um, there were not many situations where the Seahawks fooled the Dolphins or had players open that they didn't take advantage of. Um, you know, it was in a lot of situations, Russell's first or second read was not open. And I think that was a, a good game plan by the Dolphins. So I do think that the, the Dolphins deserve some credit. Mm. Um, I also think, you know, the, <laughs> it was the rough edges for sure. And then the Seahawks were, I think, incredibly fortunate to win. Yeah. Vance Joseph, by the way, is the guy that you're thinking of, the uh, All right. defensive coordinator from Miami. You know how I know that, by the way? How do you know? I just looked it up like two seconds ago. You are brilliant. Yeah, as you were talking there, the the, uh, magic of Google. But, hey, I mean, I told you last week, okay? And, like, I'm not going to sit here and say I told you so because it's only been one damn week. And for all we know, they could drop 55 points on the Rams on Sunday. But you and I talked a week ago about the concerns that some have about the offensive line. You didn't seem to share the concerns that a lot of people have. And I wonder, after watching them after one week, are you maybe – a tad more concerned about it than you were going into the opener. Uh, sure. I, I think a tad more is, is fair. And the main reason there is because I think Bradley Sowell, um, you know, certainly struggled and, and we hadn't seen him struggle like that before. And yeah. he's going to have an even tougher matchup potentially this week um, in, in LA. So I think that's a, a fair thing to be a little concerned about. I think Mark Lewinsky didn't play necessarily his best game. Um, and so there's a little cause for, you know, uh, at least a, a raise of the eyebrow there. I thought Justin Britt played well. I think that's very encouraging. And yep. um, I think that that's going to be key. And honestly, Dave, until they get Jermaine Effetti back, it's just going to be hard to give a complete grade. Um, yep. You know, because I, I think, sure, this is what you have now. If you had told me Jamarcus Webb was going to be, you know, their starter all year, I would not be nearly as as optimistic. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, we'll see how it happens there. I, I do think Gary Gilliam, you know, silently played a pretty decent game. So, um, you know, I think two of the five guys did did all right. Um, and as bad as a lot of people think it was, they gave up three sacks in 43 pass attempts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a 6.7% sack rate, which was better than all but one of their games in the first seven of last year. So yeah. I think it's just important to keep perspective. Well, and they're doing it against a pretty damn good defensive front. There's no doubt. I would also say that not all three of those sacks were on the offensive line. You can go back and talk to Russell about maybe getting rid of the football or doing things differently. But, I mean, just to echo what you said, first of all, I think Justin Britt, I thought he was the best offensive lineman in the game for the Hawks. And, uh, look, I, I think we can say it right now. Justin Britt, Brian, is the Seahawks' best offensive lineman right now, today, okay? And that's crazy to think about where this Uh guy was a year ago, and maybe it says more about the guys around him, to be honest with you, 
uh, and less about him. Uh, maybe he's the uh, the best of a bad bunch, but Justin Britt is the best offensive lineman right now on this football team, and to me, it's not even close, dude. I think you're right, and I I, <laughs> I have to tell you, Dave, I, you know, I don't always sleep well. I think you know that about me. I'm up tweeting and writing at all times of night, but yeah. last That's what you night, say I, you're doing, by the way. Who knows what you're doing? Really? Uh, well, yeah, yeah, that's for me to know and you to wish you knew, but, but <laughs> it, it was... It was three in the morning, you know, this morning, and and I, I kind of popped awake and I pulled my iPad aside and started watching the uh, Rams Seahawks game from last year yep. in, uh, in Seattle. And <laughs> Justin Britt looked like a blind squirrel searching for a nut in that game. His hands are outstretched and he's like trying to touch somebody. And Michael Brockers and Aaron Donald, everyone's running around him. He looks like a completely different player this year. And um, I don't know that I've ever seen anything like that. And granted, one game, you know, I'm not anointing him to the hall, but no matter what happens the rest of the year, there's a significant difference in who he is as a player. Now, there's no question about it. He's grown a lot and looks like he's finally found a home at center after playing tackle and guard his first two years in the NFL. Uh, let me go back, though, to that Dolphin game before we talk about the matchup with the Rams on, on Sunday. And you mentioned the defense and the great game they had. And I think for me, there were two things that really stood out. One good and one not so good. Number one, it was hard to watch Earl Thomas in that game on Sunday, okay? And we all love Earl. He's one of my favorite people in the world. He's a phenomenal dude. He's always been great to us here on the radio, great with the media. But you had three missed tackles. You had the blown coverage on the ball that should have been caught for a touchdown by Kenny Still. And it just was hard to watch. I don't know how else to describe it. It was almost hard to stomach watching Earl Thomas play a football game like that. And then from a positive perspective, man, I was talking to uh, Nate Burleson on the show today about this, that I think the depth in the secondary might be as good as it's been since they won the championship three years ago. How about you touch on both those issues? Yeah, I mean – well, according to, to Earl, you know, it's all good, bro. No. So he's, <laughs> and you know what? I think it is. I think it is going to be good, but it was still hard to watch on Sunday. It was. And, you know, as, as much as he definitely had, I mean, nobody's arguing that he had a, you know, a way off his uh, game kind of performance. But um, I don't think it was just Earl struggling with tackling. Um, early in that game, there were a lot of missed tackles by the Seahawks. And, and Pete Carroll kind of made mention of it. It hasn't gotten a lot of pub, but – First half of that game, there was a lot of missed plays. And so I think the Seahawks, you know, weathered that storm a little bit. Um, I, I don't worry at all about Earl Thomas. I mean, the guy hasn't lost a step. And it, none of the plays that we talked about, you know, or that we saw in that game were about uh, degradation in his physical skills. He just made some mistakes. Right, so, right. you know, he doesn't do that. The guy works as hard as anybody. He'll, he'll be – I'm kind of – the same way that people are concerned the Rams are going to be, you know, raring to go this week um, to take out their frustration after their first game, you know, we might see a great game from Earl Thomas this week to bounce yeah, back. So yeah. You know what? Upside. Let me let me just interrupt you for a second because I want to get your thoughts on Sherman and Shed and Lane, which I think is a trio yep. were outstanding in the game on Sunday. But I'm just wondering out loud here, uh, and this is what happens when you tape a podcast. There's no time limit, so we can sit here and babble for an hour if we want. Mm -hmm. But – is that game going to end up being a positive for him? And I kind of compare it to, I think it was, was uh, Browner's first year, 2011 or 2012. You remember? It was 2000, uh, 2011. Okay. So, that was so Sherman's first year. the first game of the year against Pittsburgh. Remember that game? At Pittsburgh. Yeah, second game of the year. Right. Yeah. Thank you. And Browner is covering Mike Wallace yep. on a fade route, 
and he just stood there almost like he was going to fall over and fall asleep when the ball was snapped. Uh-huh. And Wallace runs right by him for a touchdown. And I remember watching this guy thinking, nah, this ain't going to work. This guy went to Canada for a reason. And from that game on, Brandon Browner turned into a hell of a player for the Seahawks. And I'm look, not that Earl Thomas needs affirmation or confirmation that he can play at this level, but I just wonder if we're going to look back maybe on the year Earl is about to have and think of that Dolphin game as maybe a silver lining positive for him. I think that's I think that's fair, and I've got a big smile on my face. I want to thank you for bringing up one of my favorite memories of conversations you and I had yeah. and, and people on Twitter had after that, uh, that Browner debacle in, in Pittsburgh. I actually have a tweet that I wrote out that he's going to be a pro bowler, and I got took so much crap for that tweet after that okay, game. Okay, but I time said, out a second. Wait a minute. You say that about every player, though. No, that's not true. That is not true. <laughs> And uh, sure, sure as a bleep, he was a Pro Bowler that year. So, uh, mm. you know, yeah, I, I think you're right about Earl. As far as the rest of the secondary goes, um, I think there's two stories to talk about there this week. I think one is um, Therald Simon getting cut. Oh, I think that's that? a big deal and oh, it's surprising. No. And the Cardinals picking him up yep. over with his LSU buddies. Yep. I don't know if we've heard the end of Therald Simon, and and I sure hope I sure hope he really isn't um, able to realize that potential that that the Seahawks all saw in him. Um, uh, on the other side, I think, yeah, this, this secondary group is really solid. They're really smart. And what people may not realize is, you know, I, you can look at the passer rating for opponents after Kerry Williams exited last year. Mm-hmm. And Deshaun Shedd stepped in and then mm-hmm. Jeremy Lane was added. You know, they were basically the best secondary in the league for the last half of the year. Didn't show up, generally speaking, because they, they had played so poorly in the secondary in general terms from a pass rating perspective up yeah. until then. Yeah. But, you know, I think they're just continuing it. And now you know, they talk about being connected. You really felt that on Sunday. This defense overall, I felt, was the most connected performance, even with the mistakes that they made, even Cassius Marsh's mistake and all that stuff. I was so encouraged by the way that defense played with the pass pressure, with the def- with the secondary play, with the you know, you know with the linebacker play. I'm really bullish, more so than I was going into that game about where that mm. defense is going to play this year. Yeah, no, that uh, that Therald Simon thing is it's kind of weird to me, man. I mean, it's almost like there's right? something there that we don't know about. Something behind the curtains happening. Yeah, right? you know, because they loved him. He was the quintessential Seahawk corner. Had the height, had the length, had the athleticism. I had really high hopes for this guy. I thought there was a chance that Therald Simon would end up starting at some point, maybe I even this too. year for the Seahawks. I did too opposite Richard Sherman. So I don't know. I'm not sure if we've heard the end of what happened with Thurl Simon there, but let's transition to the Rams game on Sunday. Uh, we all know what happened on Monday night. They looked awful, but we also know what happened in two games against the Hawks a year ago. Uh, the Rams won both of them uh, against Seattle. I mean, for whatever reason, man, this is like their Super Bowl every year playing the Seahawks. And, but, you know, look, I mean, let me ask you this. Uh, Brian, do you think five yards per attempt from a quarterback is bad? Would you agree with that? <laughs> it is bad. Okay, there's two guys in the NFL whose yard per attempt number are under five right now, and they both played in that game on Monday night in Santa Clara. Uh-huh. Blaine Gabbert, game to watch. yeah, Blaine Gabbert and Case Keenum. I mean, hell, yeah. when they when, when the highlight is Kevin Harlan calling a guy streaking onto the field, <laughs> you know it's a bad game. But uh, th- this game, I guess everybody just assumes that well, the Rams are awful, so the Hawks will stop them on uh, on Sunday. And I just think oh. we're in for more of the same that we've seen on Sunday. I think that's. I think that would you know anyone that thinks that is not watched these two teams play the past few years. Uh, you know, I wrote um, a couple articles this week that, I mean, you should definitely check out if you haven't. One of them is 10 facts about the, the Seahawks-Rams matchup. And it's a bizarre, a bizarre set of stuff in there, Dave. I mean, you've got uh, 
the Seahawks four and four against the Rams since Jeff Fisher came aboard. Um, they're forty-two and fourteen against the rest of the NFL. Um, you know, you've got a team in the Seahawks. Everyone talks about the fact that the Seahawks get sacked all the time by you know Russell Wilson gets sacked by the Rams more than any other team in that time, but they've actually been sacked more in the games that they've won than in the games that they've lost. Mm. They've actually rushed for more yards in the games that they lost than in the games that they won. This is a super bizarre series. <laughs> and, you know, you've got special teams plays. You've got defensive scores. You know, um, the most telling stat I found um, in this series is really it's not – everyone focuses on the defensive line for the Rams, the offensive line for the Seahawks. That's going to be the, you know, the, the thing that everyone's going to focus on. The thing that's a better telltale of how these games go is how the Seahawks' defense contains the Rams' offense and the scoring. And when the Rams win, they average 26 points a game against the Seahawks. Mm. When they lose, they average nine. Mm. So that's a big part of what has to happen. That Rams' offense does not deserve to score anything against the Seahawks' defense and certainly doesn't deserve to get in the end zone. So that's going to be a key part of it. And and the other thing that we should talk about, you know, um, is the differences between, you know, this these two teams between now and that last game they played. Dave, these are two very different teams than the ones that matched up in December. No question. Well, I think, uh, and we can chat about that in a second, but going back to your point, wasn't it 2013 the Rams scored nine points in both games against the Hawks? Yeah. Remember they had the one where uh, Earl made the big play on fourth down and Farwell had the big tackle on third down in St. Louis on Monday night, and they just looked awful. Yep. And then last year they scored 34. It was overtime at 34 in the opener when uh, – who was the guy filling in for Cam? Nick Foles. Oh, oh uh, Deion Bailey. Deion Bailey falls down and uh, gives up the touchdown pass in uh, in St. Louis, and the Rams come here and beat him obviously later in the year. So, yeah, they, they for whatever reason, they've got the Hawks' number, but they are a different football team but so are the Seahawks, man. Let's talk about maybe the biggest difference that we'll see in this game versus what we saw a year ago. Well, let me give you a couple. All right. um, I knew that you would, by the way. Yeah. Alvin Bailey was the starting left tackle last year. Uh, Kelsey McCray was in place of Cam Chancellor. Right. Uh, here's a huge one. Talking about the opener now. No, I'm talking about the last game in December yeah, when, gotcha. when they came to Seattle. He was hurt, correct. Yep. Uh, Jimmy Graham was out. Um, Luke Wilson left with a concussion in the first half. The only tight end they had playing in that game was Cooper Helfett. Mm. They had Cooper Helfett blocking William Hayes, and it was not pretty. That's how William Hayes ended up with three sacks. Um, Tyler Lockett exited that game with a concussion. Uh, Doug Baldwin played with a severe hamstring injury. Frank Clark got 11 snaps in that game. He got 29 last week. There's a lot of differences between these teams. James Laurinaitis was their linebacker. Akeem Harris scored a fumble return touchdown and second leading tackler is not on the team anymore. There's just a ton of differences. And so, um, you know, I think that there's reason to be optimistic about how the Seahawks are going to play. I think it's foolish to expect it to be an easy game. So basically you're telling me that Cam Chancellor has not played a game against the Rams since 2014. You are correct, sir. Because he missed both games a year ago. That's right. Well, that'll be a big difference. No question about it. All right. What do you got planned for Sunday, by the way? I know we did the uh, the Prime Sport tailgate a week ago. Is that coming back for the uh, the next home game? That is. And, you know, these uh, podcasts are uh, 
sponsored by Prime Sports, so thank you guys for uh, taking care of us. And Softy, you and I got to uh, partake in a little bit of the drink and, oh, yeah. and food last weekend, which is really cool. <laughs> and uh, I'll be putting up some pictures and, and uh, a review of the whole experience so people can figure out what it's all about. Awesome. I love it, man. Have fun this weekend. Are you going, by the way, to L.A.? No, no. I'm going to be going to New Orleans later in the year and oh. New England later in the year. Those ha- are my two. Have you been to New Orleans, by the way? I have not. Oh, dude. And it's on Halloween. Oh, dude. The day before. Well, let me just say this, that you might want to kiss your wife before you take off. Because <laughs> you might not see her when you get home. All right. I'm I will. Uh, I'll keep that in mind. It's like Disneyland for perverts down there, dude. <laughs> seriously, control yourself, all right? I will. I will. I'm there for football. Ah, all right, man. We'll talk soon, buddy. All right. Take care, Dave. Brian Nemhauser, Hawkblogger, Hawkblogger.com on the web, at Hawkblogger on Twitter. Check it out. And we'll talk to you next week on the podcast. Thanks for checking us out.